house. No, the right no, house. I did it. Get we want to talk to Marilyn Hack. I'm from Canada water. Freshman philosopher, professor, assigned this exercise and called it a bucket list. We were supposed to make a list of all the things we wanted to do in our lives before we kicked the bucket. Cutesy. Pointless now. We could do this. We should do this. This is living! I hate your rotten guts! Is he insane? Depends. You're gonna drive it or buy it a dress? Just getting to know each other. I don't understand how you can run off with a total stranger. I've got 45 years greased up under the hood of a car. I think I've earned some time for myself. You got kids? I don't see her. It's time. Why are we, uh... Oh, my God. What are you so afraid of? Just because I told you my story does not invite you to be a part of it. Hello and welcome to the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast where Warner Brothers is constantly trying to have one of us replaced with Bruce Willis. Every week on This Had Oscar Buzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died, and we are here to perform the autopsy. I'm your host, Joe Reed. I am here as always with my co-host, Chris File. Hello, Chris. Hello, Joseph. Nobody cares what I think. (laughs) How are things from your isolation pod? Uh, they're they're great. Um, I am going on several um, dates with other people in the pods. I am, you know, just awaiting that marriage proposal. So you're just Giving... living in the lobster? Is that what is that what we're saying right now? No, I'm living in Love Is Blind. I'm feeding wine oh, to I my see. non-existent dog. Um, I see. I don't watch that show. Um, you're probably better for it. Um, <laughs> It's it's like kind of very to me revealing in the ways that everyone is crazy when they're starting to date or like get engaged with somebody like in that way it's yeah. very psychologically revealing but it is also garbage. I mean that's garbage? probably the more appealing thing about it. I watch a lot of garbage. I appreciate garbage. I get it. I get it. Um speaking of garbage, we've we discovered out a movie this week uh, that Nelly Furtado has a song we didn't know existed, and we're here. Yeah, we're here not to talk about the movie The Bucket List. We're here to talk about Nelly Furtado's <laughs> song Bucket List. This had we're pivoting. Grammy buzz. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Wait. So okay. So you said offline this was a song from 2013. Yes. After okay. the movie so, Bucket List, Nelly Furtado makes list? a song called Bucket List. Well, after her last bout of relevance as a pop star, because that was like right, um, promiscuous man eater, like that whole sort of like era, which was what gotta be six, oh, like, probably oh seven, the year of. Hold on, I'm wow. gonna look up when promiscuous. Yeah, came please up. do. It's a 2006 single from yeah. her album Loose, which I think is probably. The Loose. last really God. like known accepted album of hers. I, I love that the Nelly album Furtado. where she. I love that the album where she moves from like I'm like a bird, sort of like singer songwriter thing. To, Folklore, great album. Sure, 
But like the when then she moves to like Timbaland infused like sexy dance pop. It's called loose. Like all right, yeah. we get it. Like you're having sex now. It's fine. 2009 is her uh, Spanish language album Mi Plan. Wow, then, you know a lot about Nelly Furtado right now. I'm I'm looking up the Nelly Furtado discography to try to find what album Bucket List was on. She did a best of in 2010, which okay, slow down. You had four <laughs> albums before that. Um, yeah. Would you like to know the name of the song, the name of the album that Bucket I, List is on? I would. It is titled. It's- the spirit indestructible wow alternate title for the bucket list truly <laughs> the spirit indestructible the spirit indestructible this is an interesting movie it's my government we've picked name. for ourselves this week i was i was watching it and i was like about 15 minutes in i was like am i up for a movie that deals with mortality this directly because we are living in strange times. I look for distraction now in almost everything that I do in my free time. And this felt like not quite that. I don't know if you had the same reaction. Um, No, I had about the same reaction, too. Whereas, like, I was going to press play to watch the movie, and I was like, wait. We chose a movie about knowing impending death. And, like, is that going to stir all of, like, the anxieties that I think we are all feeling right now? But luckily, we ended up with a movie that kind of avoids the seriousness of death at all costs. To its detriment, I would say. um, In 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 a different context, yes. But, like, I was surprised by how much I didn't hate this movie. I didn't find a ton to love about it, but I'm interested to hear what? what you thought. It was. It's also interesting that, like, not only was it so much about impending death, but also, like, get out of your house to deal with impending death. It's just like, <laughs> that's not an option, guys. Get in your I private can't... jet, go around the world, do whatever you want. In a way, they were kind of social distancing because it's just the two of them hanging out. They don't, Not like, when they not... were tandem skydiving. That was way too close to be to another person. That is actually true. Um, but yeah. yes, hiking the Himalayas, you can definitely keep a six feet distance while you're hiking the Himalayas. That's probably very feasible. But... Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of traveling. This movie, it's interesting. This movie was is mostly as advertised because it's a very simple premise that they carry out fairly simply. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the trailer for this movie tells you literally every plot beat of the movie. I don't think I I anticipated the angle where Jack Nicholson's character is filthy rich and is sort of like bankrolling this whole thing and it's sort of an unequal kind of distribution of Yeah. Of plot between them, which is just like it's fine, but like it was, it was just not entirely what I think I was expecting the two of them to sort of like be embarking on this adventure together. And really, it's Morgan Freeman's adventure that Jack Nicholson is sort of sponsoring. It it's definitely was advertised more at I mean, definitely a buddy comedy. So it's like it's not like lying to you that it's not right. a two hander. But it definitely felt like when this movie came out, it was treated more as Jack's movie, and probably because Jack Nicholson does way less movies than Morgan Freeman does. It's his penultimate movie. Yeah, 
it, but it does feel like when you're watching it, the movie belongs way more to Morgan Freeman. And maybe that's because yes. like the emotional journey of the movie, or at least like our emotional catharsis with it is with Morgan Freeman. It also begins with yet another Morgan Freeman voiceover, which I had to laugh at, where I was just like, even even the bucket list begins with like March of the Penguins intonation. <laughs> where, um, it's fine. It's I think I mean, the two of them are friends in real life, and you can tell that there is, you know, there's a good friend chemistry between the two of them. You, I like watching them just sort of, like, be around each other. It's nothing spectacular for me, but, like, I get it. I get why this was, you know, a premise. I get why Rob Reiner directed it. It's interesting. We'll get into the whole Rob Reiner thing, because I find, like, there's a lot of interesting angles. There's weirdly not a lot of opportunities that we can talk about Rob Reiner, so I I definitely want to, like, get into the Rob Reiner of it. Yeah, because he's, he's somebody who has not had great personal success with the Oscars, but a lot of his movies get other nominations, Mm -hmm. and we can talk about that for sure. Um, But before we do, boy, this is the earliest we're getting into the, you know, the boilerplate and the plot description in a while, so I guess we're all business. The cultural reset has made us readjust our priorities, (laughs) and we will try to get the 60-second plot description within the first half hour of our episode. The more I think about it, though... The 60-second plot description is our version of the good fight, sort of putting the opening credits later and later into the episodes until it starts to seem like a dare. Like somebody dared the editors, just like, how late into this episode can we put the opening credits, really? And they're like, bitchy thought. And it was just like 24 minutes into it or whatever. Um, Seriously? I don't watch that show, but maybe I you should You should. You absolutely... You, can, you don't even have to have watched The Good Wife, even though that's also a very good show and I would recommend it, but like... Just jump into the good fight. It is so worthwhile. It's very much. It's a if you're looking for a quarantine binge, that's a one. Like mm. definitely do that. I just don't know what's going on in the world anymore. It's insane. We are talking about the bucket list, directed by Rob Reiner, written by Justin Zakem. We'll get into it, Mr. Zakem's filmography. Gift. A gift, but also many, many non-gifts he he was a participant in what we would call a gift he wasn't the only writer in that movie but we'll get into it keep going we'll uh, get into it starring morgan freeman jack nicholson sean hayes rob morrow of northern exposure and quiz show fame beverly todd playing morgan freeman's wife this premiered at the hollywood film festival on december 15th 2007 and then opened limited on december 25th 2007 for all the New Yorkers and Los Angelinos to ponder their mortality on a Christmas morn. Um, this is the bucket list, Chris. The list de bouquet. The list of buckets. It is a shopping list of buckets. If you're stocking up on buckets, this is the movie for you. What if that was it? What if it was just like Morgan Freeman and Jack Nicholson at a Home Depot being like, how just about like, this We one? need a bunch of different kinds of buckets. All the buckets you we have. We need metal buckets. We need plastic buckets. We need plastic buckets of different kinds. All right. Now we're getting into Bubba Gump territory. <laughs> Fried shrimp. Fried bucket. Fried bucket. <laughs> bucket stew. Bucket scampi. All right. Chris, bucket you're cocktail. avoiding this. 
You're avoiding the bucket. You're avoiding the true bucket in your Honestly, life. Honestly, I is, think I ha- I, I'm ready for this because like this feels like one of the not easier a, assignments I've had at this game that I'm terrible at. There's not a lot of plot. Let me uh, let me procure my phone. Boop, boop, boop. One minute, zero seconds to deliver the plot of the bucket list. Are you ready, sir? Yes. And a begin. Okay, Morgan Freeman plays a uh, trivia enthusiast and uh, mechanic named Carter. He gets diagnosed with cancer and ends up in the hospital. Who does his roommate end up being but Edward Cole, played by Jack Nicholson, who is the owner of the hospital, who has also demanded that people can't have their own rooms in his hospital, mostly to make uh, more of a profit because he runs what? A hospital, not a spa. Anyway, they become friends in the room as they both deal with their cancer, and then Morgan Freeman... uh, writes a bucket list and edward cole decides hey we're gonna go around the world completing your bucket list they do things like skydiving they go see the taj mahal um and then anyway we find out that uh edward cole has a daughter that he is estranged from and carter's like hey you should go like talk to your daughter and he says no and they have a fight and they're not friends anymore and then carter unfortunately dies and uh edward cole speaks at his funeral and then go visits his daughter and then he dies and then they both their ashes are left at the top of the himalayas by oh by sean hayes uh edward calls assistant because that makes sense listen sean hayes's character is truly um a tragic figure in the world truly a tragic tragic figure i think it's the reason i didn't see this movie because the trailer ends with the line of him saying no one cares what what uh jack nicholson says to him no one cares what you think which is like a nod to as good as it gets but it also is like if you're punctuating your trailer by saying no one cares what a gay person thinks also it made me think that the movie would be homophobic so i never if you watch if you watch that trailer you could at least watch that trailer and be like oh Maybe that's at the beginning of the movie when Jack Nicholson's character is less nice and maybe he comes around to like appreciate all the things that Sean Hayes, who plays his essentially his personal assistant, um, all the things that Sean Hayes does for him in his life, which like is fucking everything. And no, that is not true. That scene comes about three quarters into the movie. It's maybe the last, it's the second last time we see the two of them on screen together. The last time is when Sean Hayes comes into the boardroom to tell Unless him his that, ashes like, count. Well, they don't. Um, but um, it's an incredibly mean thing to say to this character who's been his like life companion for basically the last however long of his life. You would expect some sort of moment of, I don't know, like at least backhanded kindness or some sort of acknowledgement that like, thank you for all that you do. No, it's just nobody cares what you think. And Sean Hayes, who is like, completely guileless in this movie like has no sort of like manipulative bone in his body he's like sometimes exasperated but he's mostly like a long-suffering servant and doing his job doing his, doing job, his job and apparently his final task is learning how to climb mountains so that he can Holy, leave like, the ashes like, of his boss on top of the himalayas alone were were that me uh out of sight out of mind as far as i'm concerned that. like absolutely not would i be climbing like, do you know how, like, much that is a risk to your own life to do that? Like, I am <laughs> We've very, seen Vertical very Limit. We know what the compromises are. I saw that terrible movie, Everest. Um, it's actually, it's, it's, it's just mostly boring. Kira Knightley, like, completist Joe Reed, has seen the movie Everest. <laughs> I, that was okay. one, of my, one of my genre of movies, which is 
I feel like sitting down and I'm in the middle of the city right now. What is playing? And I need a full list of the times that you've done that. It's been several, and that was one of them. And I was like around Lincoln Center. Movies. You saw the Mortal Instruments that way. I did see the Mortal Instruments that way. Those are definitely on that list. I'll try and think of more of them, but it's definitely it's it's not a rare occasion. Also, every single time I've ever gone Christmas shopping, but that is that's more of a by design kind of a thing. That's sure. one where I know that like I'm going to go shopping for a while, and then I'm just going to be like, ugh, fuck this, I want to sit down, and then I go and I watch. For example. Um, Oh, Miss Peregrine's Home. You saw Peregrine's something good home. this year. This is when you saw Frozen 2, right? No, well, that one I saw with my sister, which wasn't good really in the midst quotes. of shopping. I can't, No, I saw Dr. Sleep this year at, uh, during Ooh. my Christmas shopping excursion, which was good. Um, Miss Peregrine's Home has been a movie like that for me. Um, I saw literally 45 minutes worth of Bad Mom's Christmas, and then I left. I was just like, this isn't not doing anything for me. I could be home. And so I went home. Um... Yeah, interesting genre. I should create a letterbox list. That'd be fun. To do to go back to this whole mountain climbing thing, the movie opens with the Himalayas and then you see the person climbing it and it's Morgan Freeman's narration making you think, because we've all seen the Shawshank Redemption and we know how that ends, making you think that it's going to be like Morgan Freeman climbing this mountain and then when Morgan Freeman dies and we see the person on the mountain, we're like, maybe it's Jack Nicholson, but then Jack Nicholson dies and then the mountain climber moves his mask and it's Sean Hayes. And I immediately text you, not Sean Hayes! (laughs) I think we were watching I couldn't quite tell where in the movie... I couldn't quite tell where in the movie you were when you texted not Sean Hayes because it could have been at any point, truly. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> um, clearly Jack Nicholson had climbed the mountain once, though, because Morgan Freeman's ashes were already up there. First of all, not only are you going to make Sean Hayes climb this, like, essentially, whatever, but if it's not Everest, it twice, it's like, probably. Well, and to find the very specific point on this mountain, this little, not like... covered in snow. No, and, like, it's, it's and, and this little sort of, like, hatch where the coffee can, the chock full of nuts can that, uh, that Morgan Freeman's ashes are in. Also... His Which, wife didn't have any interest in like keeping or scattering her own husband's ashes. No, I it has to go to his. Split ashes. It doesn't have Listen, to be all the ashes. I want my ashes together. I want to be wherever I am. I want it to be all in the same place. Is all that's all. That's You're my saying only that wish. his wife refused to be the ashes. <laughs> Very good. Very, very salient point, and very good. Mm-hmm. I appreciate that. Um, Jennifer Garner also had a big 2007. That was the year of Juno. This was... Um, Should have been a nominee. Juno was one of that year's National Board of Review top 10 films of the year, inclu- which a list which also included The Bucket List, which truly was... Even at the time, I remember when that list got announced, and The Bucket List was on it, and everybody was like... NBR gonna NBR. It was it's the, a Warner Brothers movie. They are historically kind to Warner Brothers. That's true. That's very true. Also, I'm now I'm wondering how many Rob Reiner movies have gotten on there. Um, you talk about something else while I look that up. Uh, this National Board of Review top ten. Once again, National Board of Review doing a best picture that's not in the top ten. So really, it's the top eleven movies of theirs. They went for the best picture winner, No Country for Old Men. But the rest of the top ten uh, includes other best picture nominees and hopefuls. They have Atonement, Into the Wild, Juno, 
Lars and the Real Girl. Love Lars and the Real Girl. Uh, Michael Clayton. Sweeney Todd. The Assassination of Jesse James by the Coward Robert Ford. The Bourne Ultimatum. And The Kite Runner, along with The Bucket List. The Kite Runner being the other sort of outlier in that, in that The Kite Runner didn't really show up beyond, like, very specific tech categories. Uh, it um, got a score nominee, which is the reason why we can't do it. That's the only movie in this lineup that a uh, bucket list is the only movie in the lineup that we could do an episode on. Because here didn't we do are, anything. yeah. So National Board of Review does have actually a pretty, um, pretty good track record with Rob Reiner. Nineteen eighty six, Stand by Me was on their list. Um, Nineteen ninety two, A Few Good Men, which of course went on to a Best Picture nomination. The only. Rob Reiner movie to get a Best Picture nomination. 1995, The American President got uh, on the National Board of Review Top 10. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything even beyond that that would have had a possibility. I can't imagine Alex and Emma um, did that. And Ghost of Mississippi did not make it on it. Yeah, so that's, I mean, three, better than nothing. Uh, Rob Reiner sort of famously, I don't know if it's famously, he's not really like a famous... Um, Oscar bridesmaid, but he is. He's he's definitely an Oscar bridesmaid. He, like I said, uh, few a few good men. Nineteen ninety two is a best picture nominee. He is left off the best director uh, list that year in favor of Robert Altman for the player. Um, Nineteen ninety five. We've talked about it before. The American President should have gotten so much more Oscar love and attention than it got. I think that's probably one of the best movies of that year. I would have, if not. Strictly in my top five. I also can't believe that the Academy demographic didn't go for it. It seems like, you know, perfectly attuned to that kind of demographic. But it was... I don't have the sense how that movie was received. But, like, I have to imagine it would have underwhelmed in some type of way. Or it was, like, just seen as a comedy. Uh, Even with I think it was just seen as comedy. Go ahead. Yeah, and like it, I don't know how well uh, Aaron Sorkin's stature was at that time. Sorkin, That's the movie he said he wrote movies. like entirely on coke. American President. That's funny. Um, um, American President and A Few Good Men are both um, Aaron Sorkin uh, written movies, as you mentioned. I remember the American President being very well received at the time, but I think you hmm. are probably right in that Perfect. its status as a comedy. Probably, you know, bumped it down, 1995. Or at least a romantic of. comedy. Like, yeah. clearly the genre, especially in the 90s, that they didn't take as seriously as they should have. And the even thing still, about Rob Reiner is that he has a lot of really good movies. I mean, like, not lately. Um, because he no. actually hasn't really stopped directing. Um, the thing about Rob Reiner is a lot of his movies are prescribed to someone else and not him. You think of the Aaron Sorkin movies, and like when you think of those movies, we think of Aaron Sorkin first. Yep. You have like uh, Spinal Tap, which is we people probably forget is a Rob Reiner movie because you and think not it's a Christopher Guest movie exactly. Uh, when right. Harry Met Sally is more ascribed to Nora Ephron. Yep. Yep. Stand by Me is more ascribed to Stephen King. As is even Misery. the Princess Bride. The Princess, yes, as is Misery. And The Princess Bride is basically like, you know, it's the one time where you hear William Goldman mentioned most, besides like maybe Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. But it's mm-hmm. the most time where he's sort of given true authorship of a movie is The Princess Bride, mm-hmm. probably because it was also a novel. 
Um, but yeah, or that's it's a very just good like point, certain actually. of his movies. You forget that he directed them. Like I don't. You know think what's the exception? Would... This. <laughs> no, well, this. this no, I was gonna say North. Like North is always the yeah. one where you're just like that's a Rob Reiner movie. Um, the other thing that you mentioned, I think, is very interesting. Is the bucket list is 2007. He's made one, two, three, four, five, six movies since then. I would defy anybody to. I mean, I weirdly saw, and so it goes in the theater because a friend of the podcast, Rob Shear, and I wanted to go see something, and that was like Rob sees everything. Rob sees everything more than like anybody else that I know. So whenever I want to go see a movie with him, we it's love always you, Rob. like. It's always, like, the most random. He's just like, well, I haven't seen this. And I'm like, I had no intention of seeing that, but okay, let's go see that. <laughs> and so it goes, was, like, we both got stoned beforehand, and we went and saw it, and it was... Um, Sounds great. It, 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 Again, I, mean, it I knew what this movie, movie was, but wasn't not by great. title. This was and... Michael Douglas, Diane Keaton, sort of unlikely... Um, they're, like, neighbors or whatever. I don't know. I remember very little of it, actually. But um, he's made a movie called Flipped, something called The Magic of Belle Isle, which also starred Morgan Freeman. And so it goes with Michael Douglas and Diane Keaton. No. What's that? Flipped is a kid's movie, right? No. I think that's right. Two eighth graders start to have feelings for each other despite being total opposites. Yeah. Uh, Um, Something called Being Charlie with Nick Robinson. Um, LBJ, which I remember being at TIFF a few years ago, starring. Woody Harrelson and as uh, as LBJ, I don't know a single person who saw that at TIFF. Um, and then something in 2017 called Shock and Awe that was about Bush's Iraq invasion that starred Woody Harrelson and James Marsden. So the poster: uh, Woody Harrelson, James Marsden, Tommy Lee Jones, and Rob Reiner are the four stars <laughs> on this poster. And so Rob Reiner famously, you know, famous for his lefty politics, obviously going back all the way to like all in the family days. Um, yeah. So six movies since 2007 that nobody has seen. And and he just keeps making movies. And it's like, I, I don't know what to do with it. Cause even before the bucket list, he was making movies that like didn't do great. The story of us didn't really do anything. Rumor has it was a big sort of like flop in terms of expectation versus what it and delivered. And those are like movies that nobody like remembers are directed by him. But those movies exist. You know what I mean? Yeah. I remember at least those movies. It's, you know, uh, it was, there was something just like this line of demarcation after the bucket list. The bucket list, by the way, which made almost $100 million domestic and like $170 million internationally, like the bucket list was not a failure. But like for whatever yeah. reason... Subsequent to that, it was just, like, a whole bunch of just, you know, smoke with no fire. And it's it's such a strange thing. I don't know. I it's an, uh, I want to say it's interesting. I want to say he's an interesting filmmaker. But I wonder if it's just he's a good producer, maybe, or a good, like, eye for a script. I don't know. Uh, help me out here. Help me out with Rob I Reiner. think, I'm, I mean, I'm like, adrift. obviously this current era is, like, the, we're happy that Rob Reiner is, you know, getting a check. Um, but Rob Reiner, I even, the first film class I ever took in college, the my professor, who, of course, was, like, a pretentious, like, guy who had some good points, but, like, noted that Rob Reiner was the worst director ever in the history of cinema because of, like, 
North and Alex and Emma at that point, which is just like, okay, Rob Reiner still made at least two perfect movies in When Harry Met Sally and Spinal Tap. And then there's other movies that are so great, like American I will say, President, Princess Bride, Stand By Me. You can't just say that he's a completely terrible director, even if it I, feels like his movies don't have an authorial voice that is his. There, he directed, for me, six movies that I will watch often. American President, A Few Good Men, Misery, When Harry Met Sally, The Princess Bride, Stand By Me, and Spinal Tap. That's seven. That's seven movies that I will willingly watch over and over again. And yeah. how many directors have that? Like, I get that he's not an auteur. He doesn't have much of an authorial voice. And you're right that he definitely shepherds these projects that are much more writer's visions than anything else. But ultimately, I can't think of that as anything but a good thing when the movies turn out this well. And yeah. and you're right. They're not, like, even A Few Good Men. I remember A Few Good Men got criticized at the time for being sort of like, all flash and and less substance than it wants to believe it has. And, like, I suppose that's true, but, like, there are a few movies that I find more compulsively watchable than A Few Good Men. I fucking love that movie. That was a very, still need to very pivotal movie for me when I was growing up. That was easily the movie, the first sort of, like, grown-up movie that I became obsessed with. I knew that movie legitimately backwards and forwards. I would... This is embarrassing... I would, maybe I've mentioned this before, where I would watch it on the pay-per-view channel um, with the, like, this was during the, like, the Wavy Lines pay-per-view channel um, <laughs> that you would sort of, like, watch porn through. But I yeah, would just put on boobs. A Few Good Men. And I didn't really need to watch A Few Good Men because I had seen it. It's not like I hadn't seen it for real. I had. But then I would just sort of put it on, on the pay-per-view channel and listen to it like it was a radio play. And I knew that movie, like, word for word. There are still times when I'll watch it, because it's on, like, AMC a lot and a whole lot and stuff like that. And there are times when, you know, the movie will be going along, and I'll find myself just sort of, like, mouthing along with it. Because, like, I still know pretty much every word to that movie. It is a hugely, hugely important one for me. And... I think that's I mean, fabulous. I'll try to watch it while we're in quarantine just to catch up with you. Highly recommend it. And then, you know, and you're right, he, he's got, you know, a lot of stinkers. There's, you know, there was sort of a line, another sort of line of demarcation after The American President, where the movies became Ghost of Mississippi, uh, Story of Us with Bruce Willis and Michelle Pfeiffer, Alex and Emma, as you mentioned, which Luke Wilson and Kate Hudson, Rumor Has It, and then The Bucket List, which are like... None of those movies are great. Even Ghost of Mississippi got an uh, Oscar nomination for James Woods. One and of another for something. Was it screenplay or maybe like makeup? Possibly. He's gotten three actors Oscar nominations, and of course Kathy Bates won for Misery. Um, Nicholson was nominated for A Few Good Men, and James Woods for Ghost of Mississippi. Um, a Few Good then, Men has a really weird nomination spread for a Best yes. Picture nominee to me. It does. It's Nicholson, Best Picture, Best Editing, and Best Sound, which maybe there's other movies that have that same nomination lineup, but for A Few Good Men, that is odd to me. It is strange. It's strange. It's very no strange that didn't get a screenplay nomination, which you have to figure if Sorkin had been famous... That might have been, although Sorkin didn't get nominated for Steve Jobs. So, like, you know, that's, you know, there's... They might not like him. The fame... Well, they do, though, because they gave him an Oscar for The Social Network. Like, there's, you know, there's, there's you know... And they nominated the him for Molly's fickle. Game. I love Molly's Game. 
Um, I love that script. Would watch Molly's Game. Let's talk about a movie that I watch over and over again. Holy shit. That movie is on HBO now. Like, flip on HBO right now and it's on. Like, I guarantee it. Uh, yeah, his, it's a very interesting career. I think I, I think about it more that... often than I than you would expect for somebody who, for a director who is not you know that much of an auteur. Well, because there's a lot of good movies, and I mean, maybe the thing that makes that is like his thing is also one of the things that people hate him for, and that it's a certain level of sentimentality to most of his movies. Yes. But you also can't tell me for every, like, North and the bucket list there is where the sentimentality is, like, actively one of the things that make it not good. Um, but, like, you can't tell me that something like When Harry Met Sally, that the sentimentality of that movie is precisely what makes it good. I think that's true. And The American President, the Princess for Bride? sure. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. How well do you remember North? Oh, not at all. Um, okay, me too. And I, I want to almost talk to somebody who remembers North better because this was fa- famously the movie that like Roger Ebert wrote. I hated, 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 hated this movie, which is one of his sort of more famous quotes. Another movie of Roger Ebert, uh, hated, 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 was The Bucket List. Um, and while we're on this subject, I do want to bring up the quote that I had excerpted from Roger Ebert's review. He, Which Roger Ebert, Ebert was actively undergoing cancer treatments during the time of this movie, too. Uh, yeah, he had uh, he mentioned in his review that he had... He spoke of it in the past tense, so I wonder if he was, like, in between it. He was... He had done cancer treatment in the past. He had, you know, would have more cancer treatments in his future because, obviously, um, things kept sort of going from bad to worse with Roger, and, of course, he passed away. Um, very sad. But his review for The Bucket List, he says, The Bucket List is a movie... I think this is the very beginning of his review. The Bucket List is a movie about two old codgers who are nothing like people, both suffering from cancer that is nothing like cancer, and setting off on adventures that are nothing like possible. I urgently advise hospitals, do not make the DVD available to your patients. There may be an outbreak of bedpans thrown at TV screens. That is a very good quote. That is... (laughs) Uh, classic Ebert. Yeah, Ebert. There is nothing a, like a Roger Ebert diss. Like a he's, master. He's somebody who, uh, oftentimes, when we look at these um, movies for this podcast, these movies that sort of flopped, and Ebert will sort of be there for a you know two and a half star review that looks on the bright side of some of these. But when Roger Ebert hates something, it's something to see, and he you could tell that his own experience with being in cancer treatment really, really made him resent this movie. And I get it, because this is a movie that has two people with terminal cancer who suddenly have the energy to go traipsing around the globe. It's insane. It's insane yeah. to imagine. Yeah. They do throw in this little like nugget of like Nicholson at some point being like, I'm in remission. It's a medical miracle. And it's just like, okay, but like... But you also have a diagnosis that you have six months to live? And then what? A, what's Morgan Freeman's excuse? You know what I mean? It's just yeah. like this whole thing is... It it really glosses over the cancer part of this movie to get to the adventuring part of this movie. And it's it's one of those things where it's just like cute idea, no basis in reality. And yeah. good for Ebert for calling it out. The the reviews were mostly along these lines. Most people you know most people didn't like it. I it's funny when I look at the the Rotten Tomatoes sort of like list of things, and two of the people who had rated it fresh 
were Rex Reed and um, Kyle Smith at the post. <laughs> and so it's just like, it's so perfect where it's just like, everybody else hates a thing. So it's just like, of course Rex Reed likes it. Of course Kyle Smith at the post likes it. Like, you you know, these two people who sort of are, Jesus. you know, famously up their ass about so many things. And of course, it's, just, it's funny. Um, uh, there, can uh, talk- to a certain degree, like, yes, all of this is true about the movie, but like, it didn't bother i mean like i felt very much like i was watching a movie that was not for me i was not the intended audience and like the type of effect i would want to get from a movie like this is just not what the movie's going for like i feel like this is just trying to be a nice sunny movie for older audiences who will go to see it and feel nice and check out and i think that that is fine um and inoffensive for the most part, this movie is inoffensive. There's some optics things that I did not love about this movie, but um, I don't know. I have I this for whatever reason. I just don't feel like this movie needs dogged on a little bit. Can I can I advance a theory as to why it was, and also why? And I think because of that, re- the reputation that it got basically right out of the gate is why it was never really a serious contender. Because like the Oscars have in the past gone gone for very sentimental things, especially mm-hmm. sentimental things about older people. There's but, definitely worse examples than this movie to me. Yes, but do you my my hypothesis here is because the bucket list was so upfront about all of about what it was, uh, you know, how sentimental mm-hmm. it was, how much it was just sort of like leaning on, you know, this what is its a movie audience for, was for, you know, audiences of a certain age. Yes. Because it was so obvious about it, and also because its title is a little weird, um, it was it really, really able to label it as corny and to really disregard it. And I feel like mm-hmm. it just sort of like it laid itself out on a silver platter and critics. And again, I mostly agree with the critics. I really didn't care for this movie. Um but, I mean, I think it's actively bad, but, like, again, I don't want to necessarily... For whatever reason, it doesn't feel like it needs dogged on. I also think the point you're making gets exacerbated in a year like this, where everything is so grimly serious, even though I love those movies, that it's, like... 2007, for- a famously really good year for movies, and one I never tire talking about. I want to go back into that NBR list again, right? So you're right about, like, so let's mood check. Let's do a mood check on the NBR top 10 list. <laughs> no Country for Old Men, Laugh Riot. Assassination of Jesse James by the Coward Robert Ford. It's right there Hilarious. in the title. Um, the Bourne Ultimatum. You know, what is the ultimatum? Have fun or die. Um, into the Wild, uh, Emil Hirsch wastes away into nothingness and tries to eat berries and can't swallow. Um, Juno. That's your exception. There's your little, you know, comedy in the rough. Juno, Kite absolutely. Runner. Like, even Juno, though, didn't weather that, like, acceptance of seriousness. Like, it got shit on for being oh, the lighter totally. movie, even though that movie has quite a bit of depth that I feel like it's taken this long for people to accept. People have because- definitely come around on Juno by now, but yes, definitely at the time, it's quirkiness really it was catchphrases and like that's right. why the movie was bad to the people that wanted to shit on it right uh kite runner a romp um it's right you know they're you know they're running with kites what's you not know, to it's love? all it's all about you know child rape 
<laughs> Great. Awesome. That's exact I mean that's what it's about. Sweeney Todd throat slashings. I was gonna say your your musical your one musical offering for this entire top ten list, and it's Sweeney Todd, the, In the year of darkest hairspray. of all musicals. In the year of hairspray. Michael Clayton, a perfect movie as far as I'm concerned. Um but still Atonement, sort of a- another perfect movie, but I weep my goddamn face off. Was Atonement not on this list or was the was it? No, the it winner, is. So it's, it's on it is okay, on the, I, yeah, right. the top I'm 10, looking... and then they have the best picture, so it's 11 movies. And then you have Lars and the Real Girl, which is, a, you know, a serial comedy, and it's conceptual because it's the movie where he's in love with the real doll. Right. But, like, it's not... It, the, like, character study of that avoids it from being, like, dismissed as this light thing. While we're on the subject of Lars and the Real Girl, because I did want to sort of mention the Oscar race for Best Actor this year, because that's sort of what would have been where Nicholson and or Freeman would have sort of been pitched for if the bucket list were a more serious Oscar contender this year. Um, Interesting, interesting year for Best Actor, because you had, obviously the front runner was Daniel Day-Lewis for There Will Be Blood, and there was probably no catching him. I would have given it to Clooney for Michael Clayton. I think he's. I think that's the best. It's the best Clooney. It's ever his best performance. It's his best performance. Um, Depp got nominated for Sweeney Todd, and honestly, fine. I'm fine with that. I know a lot of people really hate Johnny Depp and Sweeney Todd, and I think he does a good job. Um, Tommy Lee Jones was the big surprise with uh, in the Valley of Elah. And then Viggo Mortensen, was that his first nomination? I think it was, right? Yes, he kind of made a run for it at the end, but both of he hit, but he and um, Tommy Lee Jones were like these early fall movies that were considered like out of the race by the end of it. Um, more and the so ones Tommy who, Lee Jones. The ones who were, ex- were predicted to end up there were Ryan Gosling for Lars and the Real Girl, who had just been nominated the year before for Half Nelson, and so he was sort of on a hot streak. And it's a good performance in Lars and the Real Girl, and, and it's, if he had been nominated, I think it would have been you know, perfectly good and fine. And then the other one, a lot of people were saying that Emil Hirsch was going to get a nomination for Into the Wild. Into the Wild was the big sort of deflated balloon of Oscar nomination morning that year, because mm-hmm. that was expected to get a Best Picture nomination, maybe. Sean Penn for Best Director. Emil Hirsch, as I said. Uh, I think there were even, like, whispers of, like, maybe Catherine Keener, a support. Didn't she get some sort of precursor stuff, Catherine Keener, for Into the uh, Wild? I forget if it was her, it but I think there was some actress... That was, and then of course the one nomination movie, so. it did get was Hal Holbrook for um, supporting actor. But, He's um, legitimately great. But so yes, yeah, so at nomination day when Best Actor, they sort of swept aside the two young ones, Gosling and Hirsch, and they brought and in James Tommy McAvoy. Lee Jones. Was James McAvoy ever really precursored up for? Pretty for sure a he had a BAFTA nomination. I mean, I would have absolutely nominated McAvoy. I think he's phenomenal in Atonement. Mm-hmm. I think it's one of his best performances. There was and... some talk of Philip Seymour Hoffman getting two nominations that year. There was also The Savages, which he won right. Indie Spirit for. And ultimately, Laura Linney's the one who got the nomination for that, for The Savages. Um, Savages, by the way, filmed in Buffalo, New York. Um yeah, it was a very obviously 2007 is a really great year. So there was like no shortage of contenders, and so I think even in a world where the bucket list was reviewed better, I think Nicholson and Freeman have a hard time trying to crack that lineup anyway. 
Yeah. So where where would you have landed on best actor for that year? What would now my I want five to bring up be? My list. Yeah. Um. Uh, Clooney and Day Lewis definitely. Philip Seymour Hoffman, Ryan Gosling. This is without actually like digging for a list. Like these are the ones that I would definitely throw in there. I'm digging my list. Uh, up as and speak. I mean, this one might be category. I don't know. Well, Casey Affleck is nominated in supporting. It's a lead. I think that's a great performance. My fifth spot might be him, but it actually might be Josh Brolin for No Country for Old Men. That's the thing that I'm like, what's the category for this? And I feel like that feels like the biggest missed opportunity for an acting nomination, at least a male acting nomination that year, because I think he's really great in that movie. Josh Brolin did not get the credit that he deserved for that movie. And then the next year he does get his nomination for... um... For milk. milk, which is interesting because it's not as good of a performance. It's not like he's bad in that movie, but you're right. That it's he's the right actor in the right movie at the right time. There's certain movies where there's just a blind spot on the lead actor for whatever reason. Like everything else gets noticed. And I'm trying to think of like what other examples of that are, and I'm really blanking on that now. But there I are certain movies where people like people saying everyone is supporting in that movie, but I no feel country? like he's the lead. No. Yeah. No, I think you're right. I think you're right about Brolin. I mean, and he dies kind of unceremoniously, and there's a decent chunk of the movie afterwards, but I would say he's the lead. So my five in 2007, Clooney, as I said, is my winner. Daniel Day-Lewis is there for There Will Be Blood. McAvoy for Atonement. Um, I had Casey Affleck as a lead in Assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. Mm-hmm. I know he got the supporting nomination, but you know he's the main guy in that movie. And rewatching that movie, I'm less impressed by his performance than I was the second time. I haven't watched it since like Manchester by the Sea, but it's just like it does feel a little bit more one note than maybe I gave it credit for. I try to sort of push against this idea that like just because Casey Affleck is a shit in real life, that you know. I want to devalue his um, acting achievements, but like I would like to probably see Assassination of Jesse James again and make sure. Um, my fifth There's less year- there than I thought the first time, and like I haven't seen it since Manchester by the Sea. Um, well, then I my other uh, two then this year, which you know, if I'm not having Affleck on there, it's Michael Shannon and Bug and Gordon Vincent in Away from Her, who I think. Yeah. He's so good opposite Julie Christie. I get why it was only Julie Christie yeah. in the awards I mean, talk race about because a performance she's Julie Christie. Didn't get any credit that it probably deserved. It's too bad because he's really wonderful. I thought the same way about um, uh, in Tom Courtney. Amour. No, well, Tom Courtney, yes, but also um, uh, Jean Louis Trin. Uh, how do we Trentignan? Trentignan for um, for Amour yes. opposite Emmanuel Riva. Yeah, it's interesting how he could have been my winner that year. Yeah. That's an interesting sort of triptych of performances, too, where they, those those three movies and those three performances, Julie Christie and Emmanuel Riva and Charlotte Rampling, kind of co- uh, coalesce in terms of, you know, older actresses who we're really hoping can get nominated and all and, and in, you know, in a different universe might have been able to win, but then they ultimately didn't. Julie Christie would have been my winner in 07 by a lot. I thought she was really wonderful in a way from her. 
Mm. Are you a Marion Cotillard fan? I'm a Laura Linney voter. I love The Savages. The Savages would probably be my number two movie of that year. Um, I love Tamara nice. Jenkins' movies, but like she and Philip Seymour Hoffman are incredible. I watch that movie and I'm like, this is what it's going to be like probably when my sister and I are 50 years old. Uh-huh. Nice. Um, I love that movie. So let's, you know, rein it back in and get more toward, uh, back to the bucket list for a second. This is... Jack Nicholson's next to last movie, if we assume that he's not going to make anything else after How Do You Know? I know the Tony Erdman movie keeps sort of... He dropped out. While. Yeah, well, I I mean, that whole movie is sort of in turnaround, right? Just let it never happen. <laughs> I was sort of interested in the idea of him and Kristen Wiig doing that movie together. I thought it was, uh, I thought it was an interesting idea. But it seems like... Um, how do you know it's probably going to be the last Nicholson movie? Mm-hmm. And it's interesting that the bucket list is the second last one. And what's what I found kind of fascinating because Jack Nicholson as a movie star, as a sort of presence is sort of ubiquitous, right? He's everywhere ever since uh, uh, wins his third Oscar for as good as it gets 1997. Since then, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven movies. Only seven movies since As Good As It Gets. And that was, you know, again, 1997. He made The Pledge in 2000. Uh, or wait, 2001. Sorry, The Pledge, 2001. About Schmidt, 2002. Oscar nomination. Anger Management, 03. Also, Something's Gotta Give in 03. Diane Keaton gets the Oscar nomination. He very well, like, it's sort of surprising to me sometimes that he didn't also get a nomination because that's sort of like classic Jack Nicholson, and I think the two of them are really good together. The Departed, 06, everybody thought he would get a supporting actor nomination. He doesn't. Wahlberg does. Interesting. Then The Bucket List in 07, and How Do You Know in 2010, a movie that had oscar buzz we can probably do that episode at some point he definitely i remember a lot of people were like oh nicholson and supporting in a james l brooks movie like mm-hmm. how can it lose and but yeah only seven movies since as good as it gets i thought that sort of surprised me just to see it you know in black and white like that because it always feels like he's everywhere and he's always sort of at the Oscars, and, you know, it's interesting. And every single time that one of those movies came out, it was an event because he was in it still. Right. Yeah, I think that's true. I think, and then, and it's interesting to see that it's not like, he's not like Streep, right? He has the three Oscars, but he's not an automatic rubber stamp it nomination. He got a ton of great reviews for the pledge, and even maybe a precursor or two, but was never nominated for it. He's... You know, the co-star to a nominee and something's got to give, not nominated. He gets passed over in The Departed. So, I don't know. Almost wins a fourth for About Schmidt. Almost. Very close, in fact. Like, if that wasn't the complete convergence that it was of, like, him and Daniel Day-Lewis running neck and neck and Adrian Brody coming up from behind the entire time. Classic split-vote scenario. Um threshold for winning was a lot lower i think because of that split vote mm-hmm. nicholson won is it the globe did he win the golden globe for about Schmidt? yes and daniel day lewis won the sag uh i believe so for for gangs of new york 
This and is the Globe win where Jack Nicholson says, I thought we made a comedy. Yes, absolutely. And then we talked about on our one on our uh, uh, one hour photo episode that that was the the tie at Broadcast Film Critics Association, right? Yes. Where it's Nicholson and Daniel Day Lewis tie and Robin Williams as the only other nominee gets brought up on stage and it was very funny. Um but yeah, you're right. About Schmidt definitely was a was an almost it, it would have been really interesting to have seen him win for because that would have put him up with Catherine Hepburn. And had that happened, I wonder if there would be drumbeat for Merrill to win a fourth now, just to sort of keep up. Mm. I don't know. I don't know. Morgan Freeman's also interesting yeah, to talk sure. about, too, because, like, Morgan Freeman has never stopped making movies. And I think the way the reason why, like, maybe Morgan Freeman doesn't carry the, like, every time it's an event is because he does a lot of movies and he does a lot of bad movies and does character roles but, like, I do think that, like, their combined forces with this movie being what it is, is why it was such a hit. Like, that oh, is not shocking to me that this is a $100 million movie. Yeah. No, absolutely. Morgan Freeman also, two years after this movie, is nominated for playing Nelson Mandela in Invictus, a two-time acting nominee of a movie that uh, doesn't exist. Like, <laughs> yes. it's so... And maybe it's because I've never seen the whole thing of Invictus, but like, I this movie like goes away. What oh, I've like, seen that movie, and it is a nothing movie. So weird, so weird. Clint Eastwood. I I also forget that it's a Clint Eastwood movie because um, it's so much to me just about those two acting nominations. That's the only reason why mm-hmm. there's ever a reason to think about it. But. Um, Ugh, Invictus. And again, but Morgan Freeman's because, also at this point still has his recent Oscar win, like following behind him a little bit. So it's like people were also loving Morgan Freeman at this time. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, he had won for Million Dollar Baby, uh, and it was very four. much like a "it's finally his time" type of win. Absolutely. It's O four was an interesting year where portman and uh, natalie portman and clive owen win the globes for closer that year which still astounds me that it it happened and i love it and then almost immediately after everybody was like yeah but they're not winning the oscars right it's it's going to be kate blanchett and morgan freeman and then everybody who had an oscar ballot was like yeah yes that's that's what's happening and it's it's interesting because blanchett's win for the aviator is not something that people look back now and be like, oh, one of Blanchett's best performances. Like, nobody Mm. says that. And Freeman in Million Dollar Baby is not a win anybody begrudges. I've never heard anybody be like, Morgan Freeman winning that bullshit Oscar for Million Dollar Baby. But also, nobody ever mentions it in terms of a performance. Like, nobody's like, yeah, wasn't Morgan Freeman great in Million Dollar Baby? He was such a, like, warm and likable presence. Another Clint Eastwood movie. Clint Eastwood and Freeman are, you know, famously pals. Um, But, like, it's not one of... It's not like... I'm trying to it think is a of performance like, that I think has all of the elements of a great like it's everything that you love about Morgan Freeman in one performance. So like it does still make sense to me. But it's not something like Shawshank where you watch Shawshank and you're just like god damn it Morgan Freeman's so good. Like he's so really really great in that movie. And 7 I think is a similar one where it's just like oh he's really, you know, I don't know, he's putting in the work. 
Morgan Freeman, also one of the many co-stars of Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. The movie that I keep forgetting has an original song nomination. Or else we have trying to get us to do it as an episode, and we can't. It's true. It's so true. Um, The Morgan Freeman uh, performance that I'm like, give that his Oscar. That is Morgan Freeman. Can you guess? I mean, are you brave enough to say Driving Miss Daisy? Absolutely not. <laughs> it, um, it, I, I kind of love Lean on Me. I know that that's like a movie that all of us have only ever seen on a TV, on a cart, in a classroom. I was going to say right after RuPaul's Drag Race. Uh, several <laughs> times, several times <laughs> VH1 has had that as the lead out movie for RuPaul's Drag Race, which I find amazing. Also, we talked about Morgan Freeman just last week for Bonfire of the Vanities in a in a performance and a role that we both sort of found pretty um uh misbegotten kind of and, yeah and ill-chosen yeah he's great in lean on me actually it's really it is kind of a surprise was that movie maybe not as well reviewed probably we not it because it's hokey as hell and it's it very is. cliche and i'm sure if i watched it today i would have some problems with it but like but he gets to be like fucking like uh, like fucking movie star from the director of rocky i mean oh wow i didn't even realize that yeah john g avildsen avildsen yes um yeah freeman's great in lean on me i'm trying to think of like what are my favorite peak of his powers that's very that's very true um yeah that's one of the great ones i think again i always go to shawshank and seven because they happened Back to back. I also think he's so good in Unforgiven. Like, that's a sort of, again, another Clint Eastwood movie. Um, Another one where he's just sort of like, he's in supporting role, and he's, you know, really, you've got that sort of inner uh, strength of a Morgan Freeman performance, but just like, I think he's really good in that. He's another actor who is able to sort of like vacillate between commercial stuff and prestige stuff really really well like he oh yeah he can be so good in something like the batman movies where he's just sort of like in a supporting role and will show up for two seconds but he's great or like um oh oh (laughs) i mean wanted is a terrible movie but like he's so fun having fun in that terrible movie. That yeah, just, like, no one's really having tough. more fun than he is. It's really tough to like hold anything against him in that. And like even like dumb comedies like your your last Vegases or whatever. And it's just like even and Bucket List I think is the same thing. Like it's watching him have fun is fun. In a movie I think like for this. an actor that a lot of people probably look at and think that they are just one of these older actors that kind of show up in a lot of things and phone it in. I'm not talking about any specific Al Pacino. <laughs> um, I think that he's not, though. Like, even just last week with Bonfire of the Vanities, it feels like he, Morgan Freeman is someone who consistently shows up for whatever the material or the role is that he has. Like, even, like you mentioned, the Batman movies, which he's really not a huge factor in. He's immensely fun and watchable. Or, you know what else? And again, not good movies, although my parents saw the first one of this the other day and really loved it, apparently. Uh, Now You See Me. I think he's also a lot of fun in those movies. I remember nothing about that movie. You shouldn't. Remember, he's in it. He, yes, he is. Um, yeah, Morgan Freeman. I'm I'm trying to pick out sort of like, you know, a performance that I really love that maybe we don't talk about much. Something like I maybe like even a Gone Baby Gone. 
Sure. Where he's, he's really the... I hate that plot twist. Um, I do kind of, too, but, like, he sells it really well. He sells it as well as it's going to be sold, at least. You know what I saw the other day? Um, is uh, War of the Worlds, the Steven Spielberg War of the Worlds, where... That a lot. I would not watch that movie these days. Oh, no. This was maybe just before everything started to happen. I don't know if I would watch it right now either. Um, but that is the movie where the Morgan Freeman voiceover phenomenon is at its most gratuitous. Because literally, mm. he's only there at the very beginning and the very end. And of course, as you remember, at the end of War of the Worlds, humanity wins essentially by accident where all of the aliens start dying of like a Ameri- like of uh, of um earthbound viruses and microbes and whatever again don't watch this movie now um but like and then Morgan Freeman comes along at the end and he's like man had earned his immunity from thousands and thousands of years of whatever and all it ever makes me think of is that Simpsons episode where they they're lord of the flies the school bus crashes and they go on the island and they're they become Lord of the Flies, and at the very end, there's the voiceover that just goes, So the children learned to function as a society, and eventually, they were rescued by, oh, let's say, Mo. And it's just like, that's how I always think of <laughs> the end of War of the Worlds, where it's just like, let's say it was microbes that killed the aliens. Um, I think that is a, a good movie. ending. That's a movie. Aside from the family being reunited portion, I actually think that that's the right way to end that movie. I like the family getting reunited at the end because at least something was, you know, happy at the end. Like, I needed that. I, that's I a genuinely... bleak-ass movie. That is a movie that is all inspired by 9-11 imagery. <laughs> this is my thing. Okay, we're going to talk about this for, like, five minutes because I had a whole thing and I have no outlet to do it. So, like, here we go. War of the Worlds is a movie that was very poorly reviewed when it first came out, and I really hated it when I first saw it. And this was in the midst of Tom Cruise hopping on Oprah's couch yeah. and everything with Katie. So, like, the bad publicity of the movie and the bad reviews kind of dovetailed, and you really do get the sense later on that the movie probably got a raw deal. And there has been a huge upswing in appreciation for that movie basically since almost – right after that movie like all of a sudden there was a lot of one of the last times that spielberg like really went for it and like tried something yes and i think the the upswing and appreciation for it is very much attributable to that and also the fact that like on a visual storytelling level that movie is almost flawless like it really truly is it's terrifying I think here's my thing though, and here's why I can't quite go all in with the whole like secret masterpiece thing where everybody is just like everybody got it wrong about War of the Worlds and it's like great. On a script level, what's the thing everybody hates about War of the Worlds, even the people who love it? The ending, they hate Tim Robbins. I kind oh, of well, hate Tim Robbins. Everybody hates Tim Robbins. I'm mostly talking about the kid. I'm mostly talking about oh. Tom Cruise's kid in the movie, who like everybody can't stand. And everybody was basically just like rooting for him to get killed by aliens. And I think that's a lot of the reason why people hate the ending is because they want that kid to have died. They want, they want that kid dead. And here's my thing of that movie is you enter the movie on the day of the, the attack, right? Where like this estranged sort of like semi deadbeat father has to then shepherd his kids to safety. But like, all you ever see of Tom Cruise is the day of the attack. So you only ever see him being heroic and cool and good and Tom Cruise. And his shitty son hates him for 
what you're seeing as no good reason. And because the movie sort of like jumps in at this point where like you don't see the like decades of neglect that this kid sort of went, whatever, not decades, but just like years of neglect that this kid went through with this father. So Mm -hmm. it's this most unbalanced storytelling where like the kid is being justifiably um, like shitty to his dad, his deadbeat dad right where it's just like any other movie you'd be on the kid's side right because this you know he's raised his sister on his own and like all this sort of stuff and just like any other movie you'd be like oh my god you know the kid is the one with all the sympathy here but because it's tom cruise and because you only start the movie after all of the bad stuff that he's done and just Mm -hmm. at the point where he starts doing good stuff the movie has a really unbalanced sort of like sense of sympathies. And so all of this stuff in the movie where the kids being, you know, difficult and wanting to, you know, break away from them or whatever, it's really, really frustrating to watch because you're elementally so like annoyed at this kid. And for me, at least watching the movie, I'm just like really torn between this idea of just like, God, he's being such a dick. But also it's just like, oh, right. He's justifiably, you know justified in doing that well and like this is what the problem of the movie is and like that's why i'm like it's not a secret masterpiece even though i've always kind of loved it is that like the movie cops out and chickens out with how dark it should be because like it can't fully let tom cruise be a shitty dad at the same time exactly like but at the same time he's playing a shitty dad the movie is telling you he was a shitty dad but it is never ever ever showing you that Never. And it doesn't, like, follow through on things. That's why I hate when they're reunited with that son. Because, like, if you're going to be a movie where you're going to kill one of the fucking kids, you have to stick to your guns. This is my thing with War Horse, though. We really will get to Bucket List in a second. Um, (laughs) This is my thing with War Horse, which is everybody hated that War Horse was too coddling and wasn't um, sort of harsh enough about the realities of war is I appreciated the scene. Remember the scene in War Horse where um, you don't see the person get shot and killed because the windmill um, passes in front of your eyes at the right point? And everybody kind of hated that because it's Spielberg legitimately coddling his audience. I, in the context of that movie, really appreciated a movie that would be like, this is all so awful. Like, I'm going to spare you this one thing. And it felt very... Um, I don't know. I appreciated it for doing the exact same thing that people really hated it about it. And I think that's how I feel about the end of the War of the Worlds, too, which is just like we've seen literally people turned into goo and vaporized and like just absolutely like traumatized and decimated by this movie. We're at least going to let this little girl have her brother back. And I don't know. I liked that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, we got to talk about the screenwriter of the bucket list right now. Yes. Justin Zackham, who has, uh, as a co-writer, given us one of the great pleasures of the past decade, and that is the Jennifer Lopez starring film, Second Act. Joe, you have more recently watched Second Act than me. Tell me your experience. So I saw, I clicked on the, the IMDb link for Justin Zackham when I knew that we were doing this movie. And just to sort of see what else he had written. And I saw that the most recent movie he'd uh, written is 2018's Second Act. A movie that I've been meaning to watch forever because everybody's like, I can't tell you what it's about, but you gotta watch it because there's this whole thing. 
And honestly, it truly is a movie that I'm like, we should maybe not spoil what the crazy twist in is this movie because everybody needs to go into it as purely as possible. It's not one of those twists where you're just like, it's not like, uh, you know, Kaiser Soze kind of a twist where like your head pops off of your head, uh, off of your neck. But like, it's one of it's the movie is not what you think it is about. And it's not whatever. That's all I'll say. Um, it's not a great movie. It's a movie I'm really glad I watched. Jennifer Lopez, uh, second act. She's on the poster in her like little like business separates, um, while still showing a little bit of shoulder because she's you know she's a businesswoman, but she's a you know she's a cool businesswoman. Um, and the cast is insane. Jennifer Lopez, Vanessa Hudgens, Leah Remini. Leah Remini giving like a plus best friend role. Like maybe not even acting. Maybe just sort of like showed up on set that day. Um, Treat Williams, Milo Ventimiglia doing this weird growly, like, accent-y thing. Um, Annalie Ashford's in this movie. Hot fucking shit. Freddie Stroma is in this movie. Charlene um, Yee is really good in this movie. It's, okay, just, again, not a great movie, but, like, very watchable. And, like, watch it for the twist. It's really interesting. It's an incredibly pleasing movie on its own terms, the movie it is trying to be. But the, like chaos that's also simultaneously happening happening in this movie the things that it asks you to buy and believe are so wild that that is also like a pleasure center as well co-written by elaine goldsmith thomas who is of course jennifer lopez's um business partner in her production company uh which is i think is called new yorican right um Mm -hmm. but spelled all weird um so you could like this is very much a Jennifer Lopez sort of like vanity project, but like it's very watchable and it's very good. I want to go back to Justin Zackham though for a second because the rest of his filmography, in terms of stuff he's written, uh, after Bucket List, he make he writes The Big Wedding, which one of or is he the only screenwriter? Right? Because it's yes. Um, based on some French movie or whatever. But The Big Wedding is the one with, like, Robert De Niro, Diane Keaton, Catherine Heigl, Amanda Seyfried, Susan Sarandon, Robin Williams, like, the cast of, like, whatever, like, thousands. Christine Eversoll's like... in this movie. Every Nobody in this poster was ever in the same room as each other. Like, I know we talk about posters a lot, and it's weird. But, like, find the poster for The Big Wedding and look at De Niro, Sarandon, Diane Keaton, Christine Eversoll, Topher Grace is not here. Chris, Catherine Heigl, the only people who actually were there that day, I guarantee you, were Ben Barnes and Amanda Seyfried. Like, those are yes. the only ones I actually buy being there. Everybody else was fully photoshopped in. Totally cursed movie. Nobody's seen it. And so written by, again, writer of the And directed. List. He directed it, too. Wait, is that true? I missed that yes. part. Yes. Jeepers Christ. Okay, yes. Written and directed. Even more cursed. And then... After that, writes the script for One Chance, which is the Paul Potts movie uh, that <laughs> the, we mentioned. The constantly delayed Paul Potts movie that Weinstein Co. kept shifting around and still got a Golden Globe nomination for Taylor Swift. For Taylor Swift for the song. This was James Corden as Paul Potts. Paul Potts was on X Factor? What did he what reality yes. show did he win, right? Yes, he was an this opera, opera singer on opera singer X Factor. On X Factor. This movie directed by David Frankel, who of course directed The Devil Wears Prada. Um and yes. Collateral Beauty. Right. 
Holy moly. Okay. So we are talk about that's like the cursed like uh whatever whatever path through pathway through the cursed movies. Um so yeah, don't know what Justin Zackham's doing next, but I I may just keep an eye out for it cuz who knows. Who knows. Who it makes me want to see knows. it makes me almost want to see the big wedding after seeing Yeah, I'm act. kind of like can I watch the big wedding when I really just need some like manageable chaos in my life? Truly, truly definitely chaos, but uh perhaps manageable as well. What else do we want to say about the bucket list as we round uh one I mean it's the thing about the bucket list out. is like it is so very much exactly the thing you think it is and it's as much as the trailer is willing to give it to you so it's like there's kind of shockingly little to talk about. I was expecting it to be more of a cringy movie than it ultimately is, I think. Um I don't know. It's it's a sincere. I'll tell you what was cringy. That is not good, but like it will not bother you all that much. Cringiest moment for me: the skydiving scene and the CGI where their faces were clearly superimposed on the bodies of other people skydiving, and they're like screaming at each other as they're in freefall, <laughs> and their faces are like flapping in the wind, but are also absolutely just like little cartoon faces that are it's so unsettling it's so disturbing it's worse than what it reminded me of was the i tanya scenes where um margot robbie's <laughs> face was superimposed upon superimposed. a figure skater as she's like spinning 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 and it's just like all you see is her like weird grinning face and i hated it so 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 much I that guess, like, all of this... There is some pretty, like, weird CGI in this movie. I would be absolutely stunned if it was shot on any type of location whatsoever. It feels <laughs> no, very right. much like any exotic background is, like, a screensaver. Yes. Oh, absolutely true. Even absolutely the stuff that's true. just, like, B-rolls. Like, just the establishing shots look fake. Um, so, this movie was nominated for two AARP Movies for Grown-Ups Awards. Shockingly, only two. Only two. One for best... What is it? Best buddy picture. Which I looked up because the IMDb stuff does not look... The IMDb page does not look complete, and I actually looked it up on the AARP website and it looks like there was no other nominee they were just like you got this bucket list this is probably this is yours yeah maybe when did when did the uh movies for grown-ups awards start this feels like early years when there were certain non-competitive categories best grown-up love story seems to only be hairspray like it doesn't have Mm -hmm. um nominees but like they nominated neither of the actors right um it was nominated for Best Movie for Grown Ups, which is the big category at the AARP Awards. It lost to Chris. Were you a voter this year? The Savages won for Best Movie for Grown Ups. I can neither confirm nor deny that my beloved The Savages was a winner because of uh, voter fraud on my part. <laughs> my beloved Michael Clayton was not able to, to best it. And then fourth nominee, The Kite Runner. So truly. Uh, NBR and AARP really had a lot of dovetailing this year in 2007. Can we talk about who did win their best actor? Oh, scrolling up. Hold on one second. Let me look. It's Chris Cooper for Breach. For Breach. Wow. He's good in that movie. 
I've never seen that movie, even it's, though it has Laura right. Linney. It's it's um, like it's you know it's a non-born. It's not quite born. It's like all of the like control room stuff from Born. I feel like yeah. Um, interesting category that year. Cooper beats Denzel Washington for American Gangster, who very well could have been an Oscar nominee. We were talking about Best Actor before. He was definitely one of those names who was in contention. American for that. Gangster fell out so quickly that year that it is very strange to me in hindsight. It was a hit too, as far as I'm con- as far as I remember, yeah. right? Um, but Tommy like, Lee Jones it just got discredited right away. Yeah, Tommy Lee Jones, uh, Oscar nominee, also nominated for movies for grown-ups. Tom Hanks for Charlie Wilson's War, a movie we will definitely find a way to talk about in some fashion, even though, again, Philip Seymour Hoffman, acting nominee for it. Um, Richard Gere for The Hoax, a movie, movie that absolutely doesn't exist, and we could talk about it for sure. Is that Colin Hanks in that movie with him? Ooh. Or am I thinking of something else? I don't remember. I'm thinking of something else. I can't remember what I'm thinking of, but uh, Hope Davis is in the hoax. Right. Alfred Molina is in the hoax. Interesting. Um, have never seen it. Have you? Oh, it's a Lassa Hallstrom movie. I don't think I knew that. Gotta space out those Hallstroms. We do. <laughs> we could talk about a different Hallstrom movie every week. That's interesting. Um, yeah. Interesting little lineup uh, at the AARP. It's Julie Christie won for Best Actress that year. Tony the Gilroy does one win for intergenerational movie. I think that's a great win. Right, Tony Gilroy beating out both the Coen Brothers and Julian Schnabel, both who were Oscar nominated um, for best director for Michael Clayton. I do approve of that. Listen, the AARP movies for grownups <clears throat> like to spread the wealth. It's hard to win uh, for one movie to win multiple uh, M for G's. <laughs> the M for G's. I like that. All right. Um, what else? Anything else about the list of buckets? I had no idea before researching this movie that that John Mayer song that I fucking hate Uh was written Uh for this movie. For this movie and was nominated for a Grammy for for song written for a movie. I had no idea about that, which tells me that it wasn't deemed Oscar eligible it's interesting. So it's probably like he wrote it and then it got attached to the movie. The shocking thing, and this is what made me realize this, is that that wasn't a Golden Globe original song nominee, and this movie was nominated for No Globes. Yeah. How is this... this did not get a single Globes comedy nominee? It's because this year is so packed with musicals, I think. Yeah. This was also, like we've talked picture. about it before, the Golden Globes that didn't happen. Um, exactly. What did win for song that year? Was it one of the Enchanteds? Oh, it was, or was it Falling Slowly? I doubt that it was Falling Slowly, I do but too. I'll look it up. Look that um, up. I will mention that the John Mayer song in question is called Say. Um, you've probably heard it. It's the one where he keeps saying, say what you need to say. Um, you say is, what you need to say, John Mayer. You keep repeating the same phrase. It is not by a long margin the most objectionable John Mayer song. That will forever be Daughters. Um, truly the most horrific song ever to win best song at the Grammys. It's so, so cringy. It is basically, um, like paternalism, the movie where it's just basically like father raise your daughters, right? So I can fuck them when they're old enough. It's so, so (laughs) creepy. John Mayer, you should be ashamed of yourself. Grammy voters, you should absolutely be ashamed of yourselves. Okay. So the Grammys, 
or not the Grammys, the Golden Globes original song category this year is very unwell. It is deeply <laughs> unwell. Um, considering that you have like an original song in Hairspray, right. you have multiple songs in Enchanted. Uh, what did we Other get? options w- were to be had elsewhere. Um they did nominate That's How You Know from Enchanted, but that's its only nomination. Okay. Their winner, I cannot argue with. It's maybe like the one of two or three things I like in this movie. It was Eddie Vedder winning for Into the Wild. Yes, it's a really good song. That's was it a for good Rise win. or whatever? Uh, guaranteed the better right. song. Right, 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 right. Um, which I don't think that song got a song nomination at Oscar, too, No, that was, was one, one of, of the other things. One of the yeah. many snubs that Into the Wild suffered, uh, yes. Okay, I'm going to say the other nominees. Uh, Walk Hard from Walk Hard, which sure. fine. cool. They like musicals. That's fine. Oscar's never going to do it. Uh, Love in the Time of Cholera. No. For, um, Despedida from Antonio Pinto and Shakira. Sure. And then from the movie Grace is Gone, the song Grace, Grace is, is Gone. gone. No. Written, written, wait for it, by Clint Eastwood yep. And yep. Carol Bayer Sager. Yep. The natural songwriting team of Clint Eastwood and Carol Bayer Sager. Genuinely, what in the hell? How many times has Clint Eastwood been nominated for scores he's written? Remember how every once in a while he would be like... For every time then... that he bangs his hands against a piano yes! and like stretches it out over time and calls Jeepers it a score. Christ. That's wild. That's crazy. Grand Reno. Gone wasn't a movie he directed, was it? No. That's a John Cusack movie. Right, but like somebody else directed it. I'm looking to see Clint Eastwood never nominated for song or score for an Oscar. Let's see if the Globes went there. I feel like the Globes went there a few times. Oh, yeah. In one year, they gave him a song nominee for Gran Torino and a score nominee for for Changeling. Oh, two uh, different... Wow, that's very funny. Yeah. Grace is Gone, he was nominated for song and score by the Globes. Did he direct uh, that movie? All right, I'll look and see if he directed that movie. You look it up, the other score There's no way we would remember that. Um, I feel like I would. It nominated him for score for A Million Dollar Baby, and that's the first one. I wonder if he's a Grammy nominee. I'm going to look this up. God. Take Clint Eastwood's piano away from him. <laughs> Wait, there's another movie Menace. called Grace is Gone from 2019? That's not the one I want. No, 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 no. Jeez, the John Cusack one is definitely lost to the algorithm now. Um, <laughs> lost to the algorithm is a great name for, like, a dance club hit. 
<laughs> it's just like trance movie and it's lost to the algorithm. No, the Grammys was... have nominated Clint Eastwood for the Million Dollar Baby score, which, like, if you're gonna nominate him for twangling at a piano, go for Million Dollar Baby at least. The Million Dollar Baby one is fine. Sure. Grace has gone written and directed by somebody named Jim Strauss. Sorry, Also, Jim. Who also... Um, wrote and directed uh people places things the jermaine clement movie that i want to say got a spirit nomination sure no was just at sundance for um for jermaine clement grace is gone maybe we need to do a grace is gone episode do we i mean john cusack definitely had buzz we've talked about john cusack oh definitely he definitely had buzz i just mean do do i have to watch that it just seems like such a bummer Uh, sure Sure, sure, sure. Grace is gone. Yeah, it was a broadcast <laughs> broadcast film critics nominee for best composer, Clint Eastwood. People really liked the sound what of Grace is hell? Gone. Jim Strauss won the Audience Award and the Waldo Salt Screenwriting Award for Grace is Gone at Sundance that year. So the movie can't be that bad. Uh, it just, for whatever reason, has Clint Eastwood making music for it. I feel like the Waldo Salt Screenwriting Award is one of those things that, like, people say always goes to, like, shitty movies at sundance but whatever i don't not know. always not always all right anything else to say about the bucket list anything else we need to say what we need to say about um <laughs> um justice for sean hayes's character i feel bad um rob morrow's character also kind of gets shit on but he's a doctor so he's probably doing fine actually sean hayes better have inherited a bunch of jack nicholson's money is what i will say we, I needed that scene. I needed the scene of, like, Sean Hayes, like, redecorating that mansion to his tastes because he now owns it. Like, that is what I need. He I know does that Jack... have a scene where he's like, you're giving me your money, right? Mm. And Jack Nicholson's like, no! And then he's like, but you're giving me your money, right? He deserved it. I'm sorry. I know Jack Nicholson has a, a daughter and granddaughter, and they probably got a lot of it. But, like, give Sean Hayes at least the house. I don't know. The daughter I seems to say... have a pretty nice house. The best performance in this movie belongs to Beverly Todd, who plays Morgan Freeman's wife. She's good. She's very good. They, she's, like, kind of sidelined with this, like, shrewish wife that's like, no, stay home with your family, blah, 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 blah. But, like, she humanizes it really well. And she gets to be sexy for a scene before Morgan Freeman has... I was going to say, sends him into convulsions with her sexiness, as so often she's happens. Good. She's good in yeah, the movie. absolutely. All right, do we want to play the IMDb game? Heck yeah, we want to play the IMDb game. That's where every week we end our episodes with this game, the IMDb game, where we challenge each other with an actor or actress to try to guess the top four titles that IMDb says that they are most known for. If any of those titles are television or voiceover work, we'll mention that up front. After two wrong guesses, we get the remaining titles release years as a clue. If that's not enough, we just do a free-for-all of hints. That's the IMDb game who doesn't love a free for all of hints chris would you like like to give first or guess first i think i want to give first we talked earlier about the performances that have led to nominations or wins from rob reiner's filmography for you i have challenged you with one of them that was nominated did not win for basically playing himself. We're talking about James Woods. <laughs> for basically playing himself. An he old, playing... withered racist. Yeah. Yeah. 
a, an assassinating racist in Ghost of Mississippi. <laughs> okay. Any no While you guess, I will be getting served for slander. Okay. Um. Well, because I'm never going to get it out of his, of my head. Contact. No. Oh, I should also say there is one uh, voiceover. One voiceover. Oh, uh, Hercules. Yes. Hercules, Hercules. Bless my soul, Herc was on a roll. God, I've never seen that movie. God, I need you to see it. Hercules uh, is great. No, I'm out of the age demographic for it. Like, mm, it's... it's not an age demo thing. Hercules is a lot of fun. Whatever. Okay. Um, it's like an hour and 15 minutes of your life. So not contact. That's probably fine. Is is Ghost of Mississippi one of them? No. All right. So your years, 1983, 1998, and 1999. 83, 98, and 99? And 99. Yes. 83 is too early for Salvador, which is his other Oscar nomination. Um, I think that was like 86. I'm going to look and see. 86, correct? Wait, is 83 Videodrome? Yes, it is. Weird. Videodrome rules. We miss you, David Cronenberg. Please yeah. come back and do crazy shit again. It's not Maps to the Stars. Um, not Maps to the Stars. 99 and 98. 99 and 98. Okay, so Contact was 97. So what did he do right after Contact? Um, much like uh, Katya... I also judge everything in life by its proximity to contact. You definitely love 99, but like we don't talk about him when we talk about the movie. That's the 1999 movie. 99, but we don't talk about him, but I love the movie. Let me look this up too, because this is a weird release date for the movie but it's credited as 99 yeah it opened in 2000 in the states but it played uh, a fi- major film festival in 99 so it gets credited with 99 so it's a 2000 movie 2000. if you were going to put it on your top 10 list of its year and I think that you would it would be in 2000 yeah alright 2000 he's not in Almost Famous he's not in You Can Count On Me he's not in Wonder Boys he's not in Tigerland, even though that wouldn't be in my top ten. He's not. In it wouldn't Jesus be on anybody's son. known for either. It wouldn't. Female director. Oh, oh, um, the Virgin Suicides. He's the yes. he's the dad. The 1998 movie. It is a genre movie that is absolutely forgotten. Uh, it's only credited by the name of the movie, but I definitely remember this being released in theaters, like many of this director's movies were. Credited to the director, apostrophe S, movie title. Oh, John Carpenter's Vampires. Yes, John Carpenter's Vampires. I was like, John Carpenter's the only one I think of who does that. John Carpenter's Vampires. Wow, he was John the John Carpenter's Vampires is his number one thing on his known for. That's weird. That's very weird. All right, that was Nobody tough. remembers vampires? <sighs> it's true. All right, mine for you. That was very tough. Mine for you is easier, but I want I'm going to hold you to strict um rules for this. Okay. I think you can I think you should be able to get it by at worst 
your first guess after getting years, but like, okay, all right. Um, this was uh, we mentioned Rob Reiner's filmography. One of his best movies is When Harry Met Sally, and the male star of that is Billy Crystal. So guess Billy Crystal's known for. Okay, Billy Crystal. Um, do I think the Slickers City is there? Uh, I'm just gonna say When Harry Met Sally. Correct. Okay. City Slickers was huge at the time, but I don't know if it really has any cultural imprint to speak of these days. There's no voiceover work for Billy Crystal. No voiceover work, no television. Also, how dare you besmirch the power of one-armed (laughs) push-ups. Wait, would he have been a nominee for something for City Slickers, like screenplay or something? Hmm. Did I'm just going to say City it. Slickers? City Slickers, the first one. Yes, you're right. Okay, cool. I was hoping you'd no voiceover. Also, City Slickers was not written by Billy Crystal. It was written by the immortal screenwriting duo of Lowell Gans and Babalu Mandel, who wrote A League of Their Own, among many other things. Fantastic. Also, hmm. his name's Babalu Mandel, which I always love. There's a lot of options there. I mean, he's in The Princess Bride, but he's so far down on the cast list that, like... Have fun storming the castle. Have fun storming the castle. Liar! <laughs> um, that's us in our 70s, buddy. Liar! Liar! Get back, witch! I'm not a witch, I'm your wife! But after what you just said, I'm not even sure I want to be dead anymore! You never had it so good. To love. He said to love, Max. Don't say My another God. word, Valerie! He's afraid. Ever since Prince Humperdinck fired him, his confidence is shattered. Why'd you say that name? You promised me that you would never say that name. It's one of my favorite scenes in all of cinema. I'm not a witch, I'm your wife. Um okay, okay, okay. I gotta get this. Um I'm just gonna throw some stuff out. Uh analyze this. Yes. Okay. Huge hit. There's a lot of nineties comedies like Father's Day that I know are not in there. You haven't gotten a strike yet, by the way, a-hole. So, like, you have a really good shot Billy at Billy Crystal's those. hard. Um, throw Mama from the train. No, strike one. Okay. Um, uh, of, all the, of all the 90s stuff, I'm just going to say the one that I like, and that is Forget Paris, just to get the year. Yes. Forget, <gasps> Forget Paris. Forget Paris is on there! The wonderful okay, Forget Paris, directed People by Billy don't Crystal. People about forget paris deborah winger is in it deborah winger is great yep she is uh my sister and i quote each other this movie all the time this also, is another staple of my childhood that amazing sort of greek chorus frame story with like all the other character actors where it's like julie kavner john spencer kathy moriarty look Cynthia how much Stevenson, joe mantegna um really really Cynthia good. stevenson i would make the case for her being wow on my supporting actress ballot. She's very she is funny. So funny. She's very movie. funny. She's the one who's getting told the story for the first time and she's so hyped up by the story. Hey, 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 hey listen to me. Someone doesn't tell me about this baby. Asses will be kicked. Um, this movie, by the way, I mentioned Lowell Gans and Babalu Mandel wrote City Slickers. They also co wrote Forget Paris with Billy Crystal, who directed it. Don't ever hand me food and say, taste this, see if it's bad. <laughs> there is a scene in Forget I Paris. I want to watch this movie immediately. 
I do. I want to go watch Deborah it. Deborah right Winger now. is living alone because Billy HBO. Crystal is like touring as a referee for the NBA. I love that you she, say touring. Like he's in like uh, Guns N' Roses. It's very funny. Uh, something, you know, whatever. I, he's traveling. He, he's know, traveling with the NBA. I'm yeah, yeah. not. I'm not good with words. Yeah. Um. Anyway, she sees a rat. She gets these glue rat traps because they're humane. <laughs> she doesn't want to kill it, and she leaves her door open. And a bird flies in. And a bird in. flies in. <laughs> and the bird is strong enough to pick up the glue tack, and then she flies straight into Deborah Winger's face. Oh, it's so good. And the bird gets stuck to the side of her head, and it's the stupidest gag, but it is it's very comedy funny. gold. It's very funny. Deborah Winger's wonderful in that movie. Um, yeah, well done. Only one strike uh, on Billy Crystal. Very, very good. Can't believe it. Okay. That's a That's good our episode. episode, I think. That's our episode, yeah. yeah. If you want more This Had Oscar Buzz, you can check out the Tumblr at thishadoscarbuzz.tumblr.com. You should also check out our Twitter account at had underscore Oscar underscore buzz. We're going to try and keep y'all entertained during all of our sequesterments and whatnot. We've gotten some very, uh, very kind and sweet responses. Yes. We are, thank you guys very much. You are also keeping us very happy as well. We will do um, our best to be a respite from the world. Um, We're hoping to have some fun uh, episodes coming in the next two months. So yes, absolutely. Fun thank is you guys the watch for sticking word. with us. Yes, absolutely. Chris, where can the listeners find you and your stuff? Uh, on Twitter at Chris V. File, that's F-E-I-L, Letterbox under the same name. Yeah. Yeah. I am on Twitter at Joe Reed. Reed is spelled R-E-I-D. I'm also on Letterboxd as Joe Reed, spelled the exact same way. I'm also managing editor at primetimer.com if you want to stop by. I know TV is the only game in town right now, so if you're watching any television, we are going to try and cover it uh, as best we can at Primetimer. So... Yeah, thanks. We would also like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork and Dave Gonzalez and Gavin Mevius for their technical guidance. Please remember to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever else you get podcasts. A five-star review in particular really helps us out with Apple Podcasts visibility. So guess what task we're adding to your bucket list to do for us right now? Thank you. That is all for this week, but we hope you'll be back next week for more buzz. In your arms and better dreams grow Heart locked in the Grand Torino It beats a lonely rhythm All night long It beats a lonely rhythm All night long It beats a lonely rhythm